0: Hey, it's Alex Pearson from On Point. It was a busy show today. So on the podcast, I thought I'd focus in on the deal on the coronavirus vaccines. What is the real deal behind these two, well, possibly uh, successful vaccines, should they actually ever come to market? SNC is building a factory to make PPE in Canada. You will not believe how much money one Quebec company was offered to get this deal. And why C will be getting a chunk of it. And a new study suggests Canadians will face huge increase in mental health issues and there is a target in this one and we'll talk about who is being affected most and how long it will last in the years post-COVID-19. So the Trudeau government's boasting that these deals are all thanks to their aggressive approach and I would say I guess better late than never. Or is it? So, the Trudeau government's announced two deals that it's secured for 2021 with pharma giants Moderna and Pfizer. They're both into phase three of trials for vaccine, and uh, I guess it's expected to be available for 2021. And on first blush, it sounds rather exciting. I think it'll give a lot of people security. I ask, shouldn't. The United States and most European countries have already signed multiple, multiple deals securing hundreds of millions of doses of vaccines, and up until today, we had secured nothing. So what is it promising? It was kind of hard to figure out because when the government was asked basic questions like how much has been secured, uh, does it even work, how fast do we get it, or who gets it first, none of those questions were answered. Let's bring in someone who might know and has maybe some different views on this, Professor Amir Adharan joining me, a law and public health uh, professor and trained in immunology. Good to have you, Professor. Good afternoon. So it all sounds very good, the government giving itself a pat on on the back, although the details are very, very vague. Um, But these are two big uh, pharma companies. What is the significance of this to you?
1: I'm not sure, Alex. I really don't know what the significance is. I mean, we come into this with a problem that you and I discussed last week, that the federal government was incredibly slow making any sort of deal to get COVID vaccines to Canadians. We're behind the United States. We're behind the European Union. We're even behind India, all of which made plans some time ago, in some cases months ago, to acquire vaccine as soon as it became available. And in doing that, they snaffled up most of the global supply that would be available in the beginning of 2021, which left us without anything. Now, today we hear that um, Canada has a deal with Pfizer and Moderna for vaccines, but that deal, pardon me, relates to a vaccine that is very untested. It's based on a new technology called an RNA vaccine. It may work, it may not, but both those vaccine candidates are, are very nearly the same thing and they're this new technology that's never been used to create a human vaccine for any disease ever. This is a big gamble.
0: Because there is um, out of uh, the UK, I think it's Oxford, they're actually very advanced in one of their uh, vaccine um, tests. And apparently that will come to market very soon. And it's uh, said to be very promising. Um, you know, wouldn't that be something we should be going after?
1: Well, I think that's the most um, likely vaccine to come first. And it is promising. Um, there are other promising vaccines I expect to come from Sinovac in China. Um, from uh, Johnson & Johnson a bit later than the Pfizer one. And it would be nice to have a, a hand in those other vaccines because they're based on different technologies. You don't want to bet everything on a single technology. And yet that's what the federal government did today. The Pfizer vaccine uses an RNA technology. So does the Moderna vaccine. In contrast, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the one coming from Oxford, use a, a live virus vector technology. I won't get into what that means, but it's apples and oranges. And the one from Sinovac in China uses a whole virus um, technology and an inactivated whole virus technology that is really very old and reliable, which is why I like that option, too. We're betting on the newest thing, we're betting on the untested thing, and we're betting double on it. This is not the way that I would have solved the problem.
0: Right, because as much as we can wag our finger at uh, Donald Trump in the United States, they've been very aggressive in securing as much vaccine from as many sources, I think, as possible. So in the end, they may come out further ahead faster on this because we don't even know if this thing will work. But I have noticed over the last 24 hours, Dr. Tam started saying, you know, there is no silver bullet. And and I couldn't have, if, I, if it was a drinking game, I'd be very drunk after this morning's uh, press conference because they kept saying there's no silver bullet, which is a new talking point, which tells me that they're trying to insulate themselves that we should expect it could be a very long, drawn-out process, or that we might not get one at all, which speaks to what you raised last week, that we have been slow uh, to hit the ground on this.
1: That's right, And, and I still don't know how far along we are. Aside from this problem of betting on the two vaccines that are most alike and the least tested technology, aside from that, The federal government would not say today whether the vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer are pre-purchased and locked in. Are they? They wouldn't say how many doses they've arranged for. Is it enough? They won't say when the vaccine will be delivered. Is it going to be right away after it's approved by regulators, or is it going to be six months later? They won't say these things, and I suspect that's because the answers have not been worked out yet so this is a very very thin announcement right now
0: okay and that's good to know because i think we have to measure people's expectations i mean there's been polling in the last day or so on um you know whether canadians would roll up their sleeves and and canadians are apprehensive um a third of canadians said they will wait and see you know, until others step forward to do this Um, And so if it's kind of, you know, if we get into more misinformation and create more mistrust, I mean, by the time we do get a vaccine, you know, Canadians are not going to know what to do, whether they're pro-vaccine or not.
1: I think that's right. And although I'm raising questions about the vaccine and the new technology that's being used for the Pfizer and Moderna products, let me say this clearly. If those products are approved by regulators And they may well be, because some of the experimental results have been absolutely fantastic, especially with the Pfizer one. Mm -hmm. If they're approved, I will be at the front of the line with my children. I will camp out all night in a sleeping bag on the sidewalk if I have to, to get vaccinated. So by raising questions, I am not in any way suggesting that people should be skeptical of a vaccine when it comes absolutely not when it comes be there because if you think that there is anything else you could do that would compare to a good vaccine to protect yourself you're on another planet that isn't the case
0: yeah i mean i'm apprehensive of anything coming out of china just based solely on the mistrust and and their lies throughout this this thing and it's funny because my son said this morning if china develops a vaccine would we get it and i said you know what While I don't like what they've done if the data, uh, you know is proved to be secure and safe You bet we will we will get a vaccine because we are pro vaccine Um, The question is the data has to back it up and, and the people, you know then I think we'll we'll join it. But, you know, they did also announce $56 million in in research today uh, for Canadian uh, companies to get this homemade solution. But there's a company, uh, uh, I think it's Providence Therapeutics, and they say that they've tested on animals and mice that completely blocks the virus. But they sent a $35 million proposal to this government back in uh, in the spring, and they've heard nothing from them. And they believe that, you know, if they can get the money to do human trials, that they could be on to something quite successful. Is that just something we I mean, hear from a lot of companies or, or is it something to be substantiated?
1: Oh, it's the oldest trick in the book. I mean, there are, you've heard of the tech bros. Yeah. There are also the biotech bros and okay. they will say whatever they need to, to get funding. They will exaggerate the results of, of studies that they haven't published yet. They will make extravagant promises that can't be kept. It's, it's the normal way of doing business among startup biotech companies and so i am not going to criticize the government for being wary about funding some of these startups Um, this is a pandemic it's incredibly dangerous it's the worst uh, respiratory virus to come around in over a century this is not the time To be assuming that an upstart little company that cannot persuade larger investors needs public handouts. This is a time to be betting on the most established horses you can get rather than the newest, shiniest pony that comes onto the lot.
0: I agree with you on that and interesting because I think a lot of uh, people get very excited about all these announcements and headlines, but you've got to delve behind the headline to understand the games that might be played. Uh, Professor, appreciate your time on this. Uh, Thank you very much for your analysis on it.
1: Thanks so much, Alex. Have a good day.
0: It is time to dig into the headlines where we find those little nuggets that get buried but shouldn't because they matter. That's why Black Locks Reporting manages to dig them up and they got themselves a real doozy with news a Quebec company was awarded a sole source contract for $133 million to make PPE, even though, yeah, what do you know? It has no factory here in Canada. But guess who will build one for them? Of course, Oi oi yeah. Tom Korski is managing editor of BlackLocks Reporting. Do I have this right, Tom? I mean, I'm looking at this. The company is AMD MediaCom. They've got factories in Georgia, France, and China. And we just gave them millions to make masks?
2: Yeah, MediCom, they closed their. They did have a a factory in Canada. They closed it in Granby, Quebec last year, and something nice happened. Uh, A (laughs) pandemic broke out, and within days, the Department of Industry uh, contacted this company and said, how would you like to be a supplier? And they said, yes, yes, we would. And they were given sole source contracts under what are extraordinary terms of Number one is the dollar figure you mentioned. It, you know, the, the two contracts they received, including the, the larger one to supply these made-in-Canada masks, over $113 million. for 10 years, Alex. Yeah, it's a 10-year right. contract. I, I've never heard of a 10-year contract except in shipbuilding. Mm-hmm. But they got one to provide masks to the Department of Public Works, and they didn't have to bid for it.
0: Yeah, it seems that this government has a, a thing for that. Um, at first we hear about we, but now we find out about this, and it always comes forward out of these uh, searches that you do. These things are never supposed to be made public. So it begs the question, what would they be doing if they got a majority government, God help us, and, and how many more of these sole source contracts are we going to find out about? Because this is ludicrous.
2: Well, they come. Out, there was a lot of money went out the door, over $2 billion. <laughs> But the size of this contract, for instance, uh, General Motors got a contract to make masks at the shuttered auto plant in Oshawa. It was $10 million. So literally, I mean, this was 10 times for this mask company that didn't have a factory in Canada to make made-in-Canada masks for the Department of Public Works. When you talk to contractors or bidders, very frustrating. This has gone on. For a long time, sole source contracts are the reason we have a federal procurement ombudsman. People get fed up with it. Are you getting value for taxpayers? They don't know. Could they have gotten a cheaper deal? They don't know. Was it necessary to have a 10-year contract? They don't know because when you don't put it out for bidding, you don't get the best deal.
0: And not to mention just the optics of it alone. Here we are with Quebec again, of course, Justin Trudeau's favorite, and this will win him favor in uh, you know election time. But SNC, really? I mean, do they not even get, Tom, how bad this would look given all the other crap that we just went through with SNC?
2: Uh, in in fact, the prime minister announced it. He didn't announce the terms, but he announced the deal himself. They were so proud of it. And uh, the Minister of Public Works and the Minister of Industry were ex- extremely enthusiastic about mm-hmm. this contract. They just forgot the part about the dollar. The, the, the dollar figure <laughs> came later.
0: Yeah, the, the, the dollar figure, the fact that it doesn't have a company at all here. And, and, yeah, look, I, I, these are the things that they are counting on people not paying attention to. Uh, But they do matter because they just keep building up over time. It just goes to show that there are a lot of games being played Uh, We're gonna pay for them, but it just chips away at the fabric of any kind of um, You know honesty when it comes to these kinds of things Just just baffled me when I read read about this uh, deal um this one surprises me a little bit. I mean, Blacklocks, of course, uncovering that there was a real fear for the Trudeau go- government over the whole carbon tax when they went into the 2019 election. And you guys dug up this uh, secret 2018 memo where the prime minister was warned about, you know, spending too much time advertising it because very few Canadians understood the rebate program and they were worried it might come back to bite them.
2: This rebate program was supposed to uh, make people feel better and cover the out-of-pocket expenses for the fuel tax in the provinces that did not play ball with the carbon tax. That was Ontario, Manitoba, uh, and then Alberta came along, and, of course, uh, New Brunswick also, and Manitoba did not go along with the carbon tax. So the tax was imposed on them in 2018, And the rebate was supposed to offset costs. To this day, there's never been a calculation to confirm the federal claim that the amount of tax people paid was the amount of rebate they received on their tax return. And indeed, in Senate National Finance Committee hearings, there were senators who said, it doesn't make any sense. It sounds like a Ponzi scheme. Mm -hmm. How can you make as much or more money in rebates than you pay in tax? Nobody believes that, but they wanted to advertise this, and they were wary even of the advertising, this is the federal government, uh, because of negative perception of media of promoting Mm. these rebates. Can you imagine, can you imagine, Alex, they were worried (laughs) about this wouldn't play well in the media after cabinet had said they would reduce government advertising and they didn't it was an election year the ad budget went up 49 percent can you imagine that
0: oh, well i can't imagine that and they got a free ride on this particular issue from the media because i think most of the media don't really understand it either because at the end of the day who makes money on taxes? I mean, I've never heard of it or I'd say bring all the taxes on I mean, we don't pay taxes to make money. I'll be curious some um, one day when we get the true calculations and accounting on that particular tax uh, of, of what it truly was worth just quickly before I let you go um the Liberals now have one less seat, so they're down to 155 seats because the Toronto MP Michael Levitt, who uh, served two terms, well, two-ish terms terms—in York Centre, abruptly resigned yesterday. And he is going to take over the, the Simon Wiesenthal Centre. But who leaves before six years is up? Because he doesn't even get his guaranteed pension. So that tells me he was not liking the, the stink fest coming out of his own party.
2: A pretty low-key guy, and you're right, he did not uh, qualify for the pension. He had another year to go, minimum six years requirement to uh, qualify for the MP's pension, which is a pretty handsome pension. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've lost two MPs now this uh, summer. The other one was uh, a member from Kitchener, who was unfortunately charged with assault and is now sitting as an independent pending trial. But they are getting down uh, to, as you mentioned, 155 seats in a 338-seat house. Why does that matter, Alex? They're losing votes in committee in the middle of the We Charity investigation. They are losing votes left and right. There's been a heavy period of adjustment, I think. They have made calls, I'm talking about cabinet, uh, and they couldn't count the votes, and they've lost some embarrassing votes, including compulsion to produce confidential documents, you name it, it if you can't vote, if you can't count votes, this is not the business for you.
0: Well, at least they've got the NDP they can count on to prop them up. So uh, yeah, he thinks that uh, he is not probably the last to leave, but we'll uh, keep an eye on that. Tom, always a pleasure. I always love what you guys dig up. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Alex.
0: Anna, six here on this Wednesday. Uh, You know, we may not have gotten COVID-19, you may not have gotten COVID-19, but the virus actually might've made you sick. Uh, There's a new study and it's pretty fascinating on mental health which uh, suggests that yes, indeed a lot of us got sick, especially women. This is a study done by Deloitte and it reveals that uh, we are in for an explosive increase in mental health illness And for years, after this whole thing is over, things like stress and anxiety disorders have uh, increased by up to 3%. And that doesn't seem like a big number, but what it means is 6.3 million to over 10 million Canadians will see a doctor for some kind of mental health issue, which is an increase of up to 163% over pre-pandemic levels. Dr. Roger McIntyre is a professor of psychiatry, psychiatry, rather, in pharmacology at the University of Toronto. He's also the head of the Mood Disorders Psychopharmacology Unit at the University Health Network. Good to have you, doctor.
3: Nice to be with you. Thanks for covering this important topic.
0: Well, I th- I don't think there's anybody who hasn't been through some kind of stress disorder or something in the last four or five months because we've been dealing with unknowns that uh, we have never faced. What was the most surprising uh, thing for you out of this study?
3: I think for me, what was most surprising is the degree to which it has replicated what other studies have done. You see, in science, we find some studies find this, some studies find that. This survey has replicated and extended at a cross-national level what we're learning across the U.S., other uh, you know OECD, or sort of uh, high-income countries, as well as countries in low and middle income. And mm-hmm. what is that? Now, there's a triple threat that's underway. The threat is the malignant anxiety around this virus. Second is the economic shock. And third is the staying at home, the fracturing of people's social relationships taken together, this is unprecedented. People are reporting as you mentioned, high levels of depression anxiety, post-traumatic stress, increase in drug and alcohol use and you alluded to this this is not shared equally across the population. There's no doubt that women are taking a larger share of this burden uh, that uh, has been reported in this survey, many others. Oxfam had a very similar survey. Women are carrying more of this burden.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because they took analysis and they looked at what happened in events like Fort McMurray, the wildfires where people lost thousands of homes. They looked at the long-term impacts on events like the Canadian uh, recession of 2008-2009, which was nowhere near as deep and long-lasting as what we face. And back in those times, especially in 2008, they looked at men in the uh, goods-producing sectors. Those people were hit the hardest. This one hit the service and retail sectors hardest with women who are uh, bearing the brunt of the hit. But I also have to think that the home life structure for women also plays a role. No,
3: you've got it right Uh, and crafted so nicely. It really was a double hit for women because women were overrepresented in the uh, so-called face-to-face economy. You know, working in retail and the restaurants, the service industry, that certainly affected women more. Secondly, Children were told to stay home, and women Mm -hmm. disproportionately are providing care for children. This is why it is so essential. We've got to get this vaccine. This is going to be so critical in therapeutics. Secondly, we've got to get the economy open as soon as possible. And thirdly, of course, respecting all the safety recommendations, kids have got to get back to school. It's good for their mental health. It's good for their psychological health. It's good for their educational attainment. We need teachers to identify kids who are at risk of abuse and harm. And we also need our parents to get back into the workforce. It's good for them, too.
0: Right. So when my hubby said uh, he felt like I was go- I was crazy during the, the height of this thing, I don't think he was wrong. <laughs> I mean, and I think for women, you know, going back to that, to touch upon it, it's because we're more um, not more organized, maybe just a bit more controlling. Everything's got to be in its place. And when you have a pandemic and everything you know is tossed out, There's no such thing as normal or organization or keeping things intact.
3: Well, what you're talking about is something that many, many people tell me, and that is that they feel a sense of helplessness. They feel that the locus of control in their life no longer belongs with them. And thirdly, they have tremendous malignant levels of anxiety and they don't know where to turn for information. WHO talks about an infodemic. There's just so much information out there and conflicting information. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, contributing to some mistrust that many people have in information sources. So there's no doubt about it, that people feel unstructured. They don't feel they're in control of their destiny with what's happening currently. And then thirdly, people are in fact telling me over and over and over and over again that this just seems to be going on forever. And I always tell people there's two types of stress that we experience in our lives, stress that goes on and has a definite ending, and stress that goes on that we don't know when it's going to end. But no surprise, the latter stress is infinitely worse. And we are in a situation right now, and this is contributing to a, a great burden of distress for all of us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think part of the factor for, for a lot of people is the fact that for so long in the beginning of this, we were told that, yes, we're prepared and this is very low risk. So people were almost lulled into a we're OK, we're not going to get affected by it. So when it hit, it was like a, a blow. And so now we're stuck in the world of unknowns waiting for the vaccines that may actually never come. Um, and so it's all about coping. And that's going to mean government supports. And the provincial government has offered up some supports. But what do you think needs to happen? Because this is not going to end in Anytime soon, I don't think.
3: Oh, you're absolutely right. I think it's going to have to require what we've seen. We're going to have to see a deliberate attempt to find a vaccine and therapeutics. That's clearly a priority. Secondly, what we're going to need to see is we're going to need to see a thoughtful plan about opening the economy. At, you know, and really driven by evidence. Uh, driven by lessons from Europe and other parts of the world, because it's not just about opening an economy. It's about people's mental health and well-being. The survey that you're making reference to... uh, also uh, comports with the Morneau survey, showing that people who work in small business are taking the greatest degree of stress. Why? Because they're not working right now. I refer to the small business as the vaccine against mental illness. And I say that metaphorically in the sense it gives people purpose, structure, a sense of connectedness. But I also think, in fact, if there's one potential outcome out of this, which would benefit all Canadians, is a real rethink as to the priority we give to mental health. And Mm -hmm. Canadians have struggled to have timely access to good mental health. I've been talking about, I think what we need, frankly, I think we need a mental health czar. We we, We need actually leadership. We don't need committees. We don't need committees. We need bold leadership in fact, to prioritize the mental health of our people. And that has got to be job number one, right across the age band. And I can tell you, you, if you chat with most Canadians across this country, they know someone who's mentally ill. You know what they're gonna say? Oh yeah, I know someone who has a mental illness and you wanna know what? We had a great difficulty in getting help for that person. And yeah. that's almost like that's almost like it's almost like a it's become almost an unacceptable cliche. So I in fact believe strongly that we've gotta really rethink that. And that's got to be our priority going forward. So we talk about managing this virus, but we've got to hear about, okay, when's the vaccine coming? What type of arrangements have the Canadian government done in terms of getting us prioritized and let's get this vaccine? How are we helping the mental health of children, women, and people of minority who are taking the biggest hit for this? And let's get the economy open and all the while, let's prioritize mental health access and service.
0: Yeah, we'll have this conversation again because it's not uh, certainly over and it's uh, good to talk about. But you're right, the services are absolutely essential. Um, And also the supports for small businesses because those who are going to be hit and lose those businesses and be hit economically, it just tears families apart. So uh, there's a whole other pain that's about to be felt. I am up against the clock, doctor, but I do hope you'll come back and talk to me.
3: Be a pleasure. Thanks for covering the topic. Have a good evening.
0: Thank you. You as well. That is Dr. Roger McIntyre, and I do tend to agree with him. We've just had too much data come in on this, and we've seen the effects. can't tell you the anxiety I felt myself in these early days, but uh, boy, I know a lot of people are struggling out there for sure. That's your podcast for today. Don't forget to catch us on Point Live Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 9.30. I'm Alex Pearson.